Um, so this is a real dignified title to the message tonight. It's called a supernatural mixed salad. That's literally the name of the message, a supernatural mixed salad. Because as I was going through these verses, I just kind of, I think conceptually, and I just kind of saw the Lord putting in all these cool ingredients and then tossing it up and tossing it up and letting it come back down. It felt like a mixed salad, so that's why I called it that. Yeah, all right. Making you nervous yet? Okay. Second Kings chapter number six, verse number eight. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants saying, at such and such a place will be my camp. But the man of God, that's Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, beware that you do not pass this place for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God had told him. Thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, none, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, go and see where he is that I may send and seize him. It was told, behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent there horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So I like to tell you every week before we launch into this, one of these messages in Elisha, to remember this actually happened. It's not Steven Spielberg. It's not H.G. Wells. It's not sci-fi. This is the Word of God giving a historical account of a massive supernatural event that happened not to the bionic believer, but to a man named Elisha who was made out of the same DNA that you're made out of. There was nothing different about Elisha uh, in who he was humanly than, than you are. Nothing. Yet he likely, and I think I can go out on this limb here and not offend anybody, he likely had a closer walk than many of us. I would look at his life and say, I'm not seeing what I see in his life on my life yet. So at this time, I just believe he's probably walking a little more tightly with the Lord than maybe I am and maybe some others are in the room. And, and it doesn't defeat me. It motivates me. I look at this and I'm like, if he's made out of the same stuff I am, and his God is my God. And quite frankly, if you're going to get theological with me, I actually have one up on him because he had, he had the Holy Spirit power on him. I have the Holy Spirit life in me. I, I say to myself, I want to live a God-touched life. And so in this message, we've got a whole salad bowl of stuff that is just getting tossed around. It's a little messy, but it's really healthy, and it's going to encourage us tonight. And I want to talk to you again about Elisha operating in and out of various spiritual gifts in this passage. So go back up into verse number 8 with me. And let's look at verses 8, 9, and 10. And let's talk about his spiritual gift that had a practical benefit. There's going to be a lot of nuts and bolts practicality to this message tonight. So you can take something home with you this evening. First of all, let's set the context. God's children were attacked. 
Okay, we see in verse number eight when it says the king of Syria was warring. He was actively warring against Israel. He took counsel with the servants saying, at such and such a place will be my camp. Okay, the picture is this constant pesky um, skirmishes that Israel would have with surrounding territories. And then we have the Arameans here and they're called the Syrians. And they would go in and they would do like these guerrilla warfare raids on Israel. So it wasn't always this big massive mobilization of, of huge, platoons coming out against Israel, but it was more like guerrilla warfare, sneaking across the border, ransacking a territory, stealing everything, and then running back home. And so it was happening over and over again during this season, and the children of God were getting plundered. Now, what's beautiful about this is the Lord cares so much for his children that even though the king of Israel is a wicked man who is not honoring the Lord, if you'll remember some of these other messages, he and Elisha have already done some headbutting during this uh, series. But God has made a covenant with Israel, and even though his children are not quite being obedient, God's not going to let a pagan enemy come in at this time and completely defeat him. And so what does God do? God works through the prophet Elisha. He is representative of the remnant of faith and trust and holiness and power in Israel. And God still does that. God will work in the midst of a decadent group of people, a nation, a, a city, and he's looking for one or two that'll stand up and say, Jesus is Lord and I'm going to live it out. And that's a person that's going to have the favor and the power and the blessing of God on him or her. And so at this time, they're being attacked. But look in verse number nine. They were being protected. And look how God shows to protect his people. The man of God would send word to the king of Israel. And here's a summary. He would say to the king of Israel, beware that you don't go to this place for that's where the enemy is going to camp out. And so that, what an awesome gift to have. This gift wasn't just for the tabernacle. This gift wasn't just for the temple. This gift wasn't just for the Sabbath day or the festivals or the new moons. But this was a gift that was residing in Elisha that he could use seven days a week. And in this case, it had a very practical benefit. When the enemy was strategizing about where to uh, attack Israel next, Elisha's just in his own, 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 excuse me, own hometown, and he's getting words of knowledge from the Lord. The Lord would say, go warn the king of Israel that they're going to attack tomorrow at this time in this place. So Elisha being faithful, and by the way, here's a real practical thing. It's encouragement to us, very practical. You don't have to agree with your political leaders to pray for them. And so, and Elisha was, was saying, and we already see his history with Jehoram, he's, he's not a good king, but Elisha was willing to use his gift in a way that would help the agenda of God in the nation of Israel. And so Elisha looked over his person, or looked past his personal differences with his political leader and said, I'm still going to use my gift for the, the betterment of my people. And so he tells them, get your army ready and go down there and be prepared to fight or the Hebrew is a little tricky sometimes it looks like he may be saying okay avoid this area because that's where they're going to come so regardless Elisha's getting supernatural words of knowledge about a military battle and he would tell the king what to do and hallelujah the king was not necessarily a wise man um, he, he wouldn't necessarily change his mind over his sin but he would change his mind over this this issue of warfare and so he would listen to the prophet. And so in verse number 10, you see that God's people were winning. So the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God had told them. And then the Bible again sums it up. That thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself there um, more than once or twice. And that's just an, uh, a flowery way of saying that this was not a, an isolated incident that it was actually the Lord using the prophet in order to give military advantage to God's people. Now, what do we learn from that? Well, just very carefully here. You know, we have taught for years, going even back to the days before our two churches merged together to become what is now Newbridge, we've talked for years about spiritual gifts. And one of the things that I've wanted to do in, in my influence in teaching and leadership is to, is to let people know it doesn't have to be kooky. It doesn't have to be weird. We don't have to swing from the chandeliers and flop on the floor and roll our eyes back in the head in order to prove that we have an anointing of spiritual gifting. The spiritual gifts are meant to be naturally supernatural. They're in you because the Spirit lives within you. And therefore, he comes and he brings gifts. And these gifts are meant to be used not just on Sundays or not just on Wednesdays or not just during ministry time, but literally in our families, in our homes, in our communities, in our schools, in our relationships, at work, wherever we go. Um, I, I had a little bit of time right before service today 
And I, there's this killer barbecue place right down the street, um, probably a half a mile. And I went down there, and I, I just went in, and there was nobody else in there. And the young lady that was working behind, I think she and her husband run the place. And um, it was just good. And as soon as I went up to the counter, I knew the Holy Spirit was just speaking to me about her. Now, I was, I was hungry. I was there for barbecue. It was just me and her in there. And automatically, I'm confronted with the reality of, he's given me words to encourage this woman whom I don't know. She doesn't know me. I'm just a weird white guy. She's a, a young, hardworking African-American lady. This is going to be awkward, but I'm going to bless her because I hear what the Lord is saying. So getting past the social awkwardness, getting past the fact that she's at work and I'm on, on dinner break and I've got to get back, I realize I can either wait until I get to the church house and, and give a word of knowledge or a prophetic word and be all religious with it, or I can actually take the abilities that God has given me and he's given you and you use it in the community. And so it took two minutes, and we got I, the first thing I said to her, I said, hey, I really don't want you to think I'm weird. And she goes, I don't think you're weird. And I said, well, hold on a minute. <laughs> I said, hold that thought. But just ministered what I believe the Lord was saying, and I could tell it impacted her, and it wasn't awkward or weird at all. So anyway, what am I saying? I'm saying your spiritual gift is not just for Sundays. It, it, it could be used in such practical things. Listen, I would pray that God would elevate your spiritual gifts in the environment where you work, where you spend a lot of time if you're working. Because listen, you, you are the representative of Jesus there. And I know there's decorum and I know there's political correctness and I know there's things we're not allowed to do at work and all of that. But listen, God's really precise and he's really wise and he's got people down there at the workplace that need what you have. And so if all we're doing is we're playing ping pong with spiritual gifts in the church house on Sunday, and we're just hitting them back and forth to each other, that's playing games in the marketplace. What we need to be doing is recognizing, no, God's giving us those, uh, these gifts. He has given them to us because there's a battlefield that we're living on, just like the king of Israel was living on. And so Elisha, he went ahead and just put his gifting into practical motion. Um, you know, I, I, I try to weave in testimonies into preaching because stories are good, but um, I, I never felt like I'm allowed to tell your story unless you give me permission. So most of the stories I tell are about me and my family. And I hope you never get the impression that I'm trying to make us look all spiritual because hang out with us for a week and you'll find that there are times where we're not spiritual. But Amy and Alicia uh, were, were just, they found themselves in the van yesterday afternoon or yesterday evening and just riding around our neighborhood and interceding. We have a decent neighborhood, but there's been some break-ins. There's, we just see things, and we notice things on, the, on the, the neighborhood Facebook page, and we recognize, man, there's a lot of spiritual emptiness. There's three families from this church that live in that neighborhood, and we love each other, but we also are recognizing, man, there's just a whole lot of people here that don't know Jesus. And so Amy was texting me, and she was like, we've been riding around, and we just can't quit praying. We just can't quit praying. We just can't quit praying. I'm like, pray on, sister. Come on, bathe them, cover them in it. But the thing is this. We don't need um, more ability. We just need to be exercising more availability. And, and so it's, it's not about getting something just rocking. And, and yeah, I've got this spiritual gift. And I, it's actually just ministering in love and practicality. And, and I promise you, if you use the light you have, you're going to receive more light. And so I think that Elisha had grown so far in this gift at this point where he's just using it wherever he is. And I love that about him. So there was a spiritual gift and it had a very practical, immediate benefit. Go down to verses 11 through 14 with me. Anytime you use a spiritual gift, you need to expect that the enemy is going to be none too pleased. And so it also became for Elisha a spiritual gift that generated conflict. Look down in verse number 11. So remember, there's a king who's kind of hacked off because his battle plans are getting all jacked up by Elisha the prophet. And so he's confounded. The enemy is confounded. Verse 11, the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. What thing? That Elisha was exposing his plans. And so he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me who among us is for the king of Israel? So the king of uh, Syria just knew that he couldn't win the fight, but he didn't know why. And everything he was trying was being foiled by Israel. So his natural and rational conclusion is that somebody among his own advisors or in his own military is telling the enemy, Israel, what their plans are. 
And so he's confounded. He can't understand why all of his strategies that had been successful up to that point were now entering a season where they were falling to the ground. And, and literally, there are seasons in our life where God will say to the enemy, you have crossed the line with my child. I allowed you to provoke them in order that they would draw close to me, in order they would cry out to me, in order that they would be humbled and not lean on the arm of flesh. I've allowed you that, but you've now crossed the line. So I'm going to cut you off. Everything you do from this point forward against my kids is going to fail. That's an awesome season to walk into. We've got to be wise to recognize what season we are in. There are times where God will let adversity and trouble and pain and difficulty. I'm not telling you that he ordains it because he's sadistic. What I'm saying is that we live in a fallen world. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. The devil himself is literally on God's puppet strings. That the God, God will actually, the devil thinks he's doing all these things. But how many of you know that God's word says that God will make uh, all things work together for good. All things work together for good to those that love God and are called to, uh, for his purposes. And so even the devil's strategies and intentions to ruin us, what he means for evil, God will turn around and, and, and turn it for good. And so now Elisha and Israel have entered into the season where God's just not allowing their enemy to gain any ground and it is confounding the enemy. But we need to remember something. Um, the enemy doesn't give up. Look at verse number 12. The enemy is convinced of something. One of his servants, one of the wicked king's servants, said, It's not us, O king, my lord, but it is Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words that you are speaking in your bedroom. I love the fact that the enemy knew Elisha's name. That is awesome. That Elisha was the kind of kingdom guy that even the enemy knew who he was. Um, R.T. Kendall is a brilliant theologian. He's a, a rare breed of a five-point Calvinist who is also a full-blown charismatic. He pastored at Westminster, um, Westminster Cathedral after Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones passed away. Lloyd-Jones established R.T. Kendall to be a successor, a five-point Calvinist and a charismatic in Westminster Cathedral in London following Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And, and R.T. Kendall talks about a message that he heard when he was in his, I think, 20s. And it was a message called the man whose name was known in hell. And it was about the apostle Paul. And it was out of Acts chapter 19, which I'm going to preach in about three weeks, where the demons said to the, the Jewish exorcists that were trying to get these demons out of somebody, they said, we know Jesus and we know Paul, but we don't know you. And they pounced on that, those two guys and shredded them. Think about this, that literally the enemy will be aware, not only then, but now, of people that are a threat to his domain and his strategy. And the question I want to ask is, is my life on his radar? Is my life, not in the pulpit, take the pulpit away, is my life on his radar? Does he know who I am? Does he know who you are? I want to live a life that is so naturally supernatural, so abiding in Christ, that not only do I know that Jesus knows my name because it's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but does the devil know my name? And so the king of Syria, his servants, knew what Elisha was all about. And I just find that awesome. And by the way, I think it's really good, I think it's noteworthy, that the enemy was convinced of Elisha's power. I think if you and I could just get the devil's mindset on the power that's in us. You see, the devil knows what power is in the Christian more than the average Christian knows what power is in the Christian. And that's why he works hard at suppressing it, at opposing it, at quenching it, at deceiving us about it, to keep us bound up in religious rituals and maneuvers and, and, and observances that are on the outward so that we never get in touch of what God has done on the inward part of us. Friend, I'm going to tell you, there is a spiritual nuclear reactor inside of you that, that literally the power of God is in every single believer. And if we'll start understanding that and start pressing into that and start living that and start proclaiming that and declaring that and not excusing that, then we will be people that are radically different than we have been up to this point in our life. 
Um, maybe it's a wise prayer. Maybe it may sound risky. It may even sound irreverent, but maybe we need to pray it. Oh, Lord, give me the confidence in your power in me that the devil has of your power in me. You see, he believes it. That's why he's fighting it in your life. The devil wants to keep you bound up. He wants to keep you discouraged. He wants to keep you distracted. He wants to keep you embittered. He wants to keep you unforgiving. He wants to keep you in a victimized mindset to where you feel like everybody's against you and nobody is for you and you're all alone. It's that Elijah syndrome where Elijah says, I'm the only one left in Israel that has not bowed the knee to Baal. And God said, Elijah, I've got 7,000 that are just like you. Now get up because I've got work for you to do. And friends, if we will start listening to the right voice and intentionally turn off all the voices that chip away at our confidence at what God says, we will not only have the same confidence that the enemy has about who Christ is in us, but we'll we'll eclipse his, his confidence. You know what I'm saying there, right? I'm not telling you to be like the devil. I'm just saying I think it's sad that the devil believes God's power in us is greater than we believe God's power is in us. And so he calls his name, and he says, yeah, it's the prophet Elisha in Israel. He's got this crazy anointing, O king, and he's telling his king the things you're whispering in your bedroom. It's pretty intense. So the enemy doesn't quit, though, verse number 13. Look at his response. Here's the conflict. Spiritual gifting generates conflict. He said, go and see where Elisha is, that I may send and seize him. It was told the king, behold, Elisha is in Dothan. No, not Alabama, but Dothan, an ancient city. And so the king sends his best, his horses, his chariots. And the Bible says a great army. And when the Bible says a great army, you can mark it down. It was a whole bunch of mean guys going up there to do what? To surround the city so they can get one dude, one powerhouse in the kingdom name Elisha. And so what do they do? They're going to get an edge on him. The Bible says they come around by night. They're going under the cloak of darkness and they surround the city. I just think it's kind of comical. I mean, Elisha has been telling the king when the Syrians are coming after the king, don't you think that he knows when they're going to come after him? And so they're doing it by night. The king musters his army. That's just what, that's what fleshly people do. When, when, they're, when they're confronted with the things of God, they just try to soup up and stir up more flesh. So they get, they get the footmen, they get the chariots, they get the horses, and they're going to go down there with all that they've got, and they're going to surround the city, and that's exactly what they did. Before moving on to the next last point, let me just say this. Some of you in the last, let's just say, year or two, have really begun to press in for intimacy with the Father. You're, you're, you're fighting hard to walk out your identity in Jesus. You're learning new things. You're, you're, you're open to new things. You're experiencing new things. You're seeing breakthrough all around you. You want more of it in you. And yet, in the midst of all this, life's gotten a lot harder. Things have become painful in this area that used to not be painful. You're experiencing loss over here. You're, you're wrestling with some confusion over here. There's some lack over here. And if you're not careful, you'll start to doubt the things you should never doubt and start assigning authority to the things you should never assign authority to. You'll start wondering, man, I had it a lot easier when I wasn't pressing in like I was. Maybe maybe this is all nonsense. Maybe maybe I just need to go back and do what I used to do and be who I used to be, and and I won't have those problems. Let me go ahead and tell you something. If you do that, you may not have those problems because what you're doing is you're backing off of what God's calling you into. When you press into what God's calling you into, that's where the conflict arises. That's why a lot of people in the will of God experience intense conflict. And and so much of of what we're taught and what we just naturally believe is that all conflict must, must just be terrible and not worth it. And our goal is to get me to the place where I have no conflict. And so we run to the most cushiony place we can find. And sometimes we head straight out of the will of God. I want to really encourage some of you if, you, if you have really sincerely, to the best of, the, of your ability, 
been pressing into the Lord and wanting his best and crying out and calling out and waiting it out and just pressing in and you're saying, I don't know if I'm doing it right. I don't know. How come my life doesn't look like hers? Or how come my breakthrough hadn't happened like his? And maybe I'm just messed up and and defeat starts coming in and and it can tempt you just to stop and stall and, and, and even retreat. Don't do it. Don't do it. The conflict is actually an indicator that you're pressing into the territory that God has for you and your own personal king of Syria is saying, let's surround her, let's cut her off. Let's keep what is good from finding this person. This person is becoming a threat and an irritant to our dominion, and so let's fight her, let's fight him. That's exactly what was happening to Elisha. So I want to encourage you, if you're experiencing conflict... Um, you're probably heading in the right direction. I think it was Chad Norris. He may have even said it here. I know I've heard him say it. He said, um, if, if, um, if you're walking out your faith walk and you never bump into the devil, it's probably because you're heading in the same direction. So the point being is, is if, we're, if we're pursuing God, we're going to be hitting the devil head on because he's resisting us. So don't quit. Press through your discouragement. Double down if you need to. And, and just believe that what you're, you're, you're heading into is exactly what God wants you to do, and that's why the enemy is fighting you. So go down to verses 15 through 18, because we want to get to the good stuff, and I only have 14 minutes left. A spiritual gift with stunning power. Just watch this. And yeah, I use those like really in, intentional superlatives. Stunning power, not just power, but stunning power, because I want to elevate our expectation of God. Um, Verse number 15. Now, here we see something amazing. Some believers lean on the natural, and it's, it's illustrated here by the servant. He's got a new servant. Gehazi's gone. He was a bad boy. He got, a, he got in big trouble. And now he's, Elisha has a new servant. And the Bible says, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and he went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city and the servant freaked out. He said, my master, what are we going to do? You know, it just has this terrible ring of we are doomed to it. And it was because of what he saw. He hadn't walked with Elisha long enough. He didn't have Elisha's faith. So he gets up and he's immediately assaulted by what he saw and because of what he saw, what he sensed. So he was living by sight. The Bible is very clear. He gets up early in the morning as he comes out. He he recognizes in the natural and the physical with his just human eyes. Oh my goodness, there a soldier, here, there a soldier, here a soldier, there a soldier, everywhere a soldier, soldier. There are chariots, there are horsemen, there are soldiers, big, bad, mean-looking guys. They don't have any weaponry at Elisha's house. And he basically starts picking out caskets. He, they're, they're doomed. That's the way he's feeling. Um, I, I wish I could tell you I've never done that before, but I don't want to lie in the pulpit. Um, I can think of seasons in my life where I was dominated by what, I, by what I saw and what I sensed. Amy knows. There were times where, so it's just so good to have a wife that's a steady Eddie. Not too high, high, not too low, low, but I, I kind of trampoline back and forth between those things, especially during certain seasons in the past. And um, I, I went by what I saw. I made provision for my flesh. In other words, I was always asking questions that would provide details that I knew would make me nervous. It's kind of masochistic. It's just crazy. It's like fishing for information you know you're going to struggle with. I mean, you can't think of a dumber thing to do. And, and so I would constantly obsess over what I was sensing, what I was hearing, what I was reading, what I was seeing. And, and it was all in this quest to try to get on top of a situation. And I thought, if I can just get more information then I'll be able to own this sucker and and I will dominate this thing. And instead, all the information that I would receive, I'd just put it on my head and put it on my head and put it on. And finally, I'm underneath all the information. Why? Because I was leaning on the natural. Listen, if we're going to grow in our faith, God is going to bring us to repeated crossroads where our senses will be assaulting us. 
What we see, what we feel, what we hear, what we think, it's just, it, it, it's an assault. And, and the point of God allowing that is not because he's mean, scary God and he doesn't care about our comfort, but ultimately this is what it is. He has to break us of our need to control things. We have to, there's something within us. Where, and you say, well, Jeff, I don't have any issues with control. Well, I'm, let me just, I'm, I'm going to tear that away from you for a moment. Would you rather be in control or out of control? It's a very simple thing. Only mentally unwell people say, I, I just want everything to be out of control. That's just not realistic. We would much rather be in control of our lives rather than being in somebody else's control or out of control. And so the servant looks out and he's right first thing in the morning too. Wakes up, doesn't have time to pray, hadn't gotten any coffee. I mean, he is just like not in the word. He goes out to get the Jerusalem Daily Gazette and he comes back inside. And as he's coming back in, he's, he sees and he hears horses and chariots and soldiers. And immediately he's calling the coroner. I mean, it's just, it's over. Um, I, I think as we look through these kind of things, friends, it's just a great time to say where in our lives are we walking by sight? It comes coupled with all sorts of stuff. We see things, we think things, somebody layers it with what their opinion is. Um, then there might be a vacuum. Maybe we're not walking just for even 24 hours. We're not walking closely with the Lord. So we're a little vulnerable and the enemy knows how to, how to be the predator that he is and, and take advantage of that. And it doesn't take a whole lot to get us just slightly off. And somewhere along the line, the servant had, had not been trained, but watch what happens. Because hallelujah, thank God He's walking with somebody that is tight with the Lord. And so, verse number 16, whereas some believers lean on the natural, some believers see the invisible. Verse 16, Elisha said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. That's it. No 20-minute sermon. No, there, 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 calm down, here's some tissues, nothing like that. It's Elisha saying, oh man, you got nothing to worry about. I see all those guys out there. You ought to see what I see. I see them, but I see more than them. See, that's the beautiful thing about faith. Faith doesn't ignore reality. It just subjects reality to the greater reality, which is the goodness and the grace and the covenant of God. And so faith isn't just see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. Faith actually looks trouble in the eye and says, well, that's big, but it's not big enough to scare me. It's not big enough to defeat me. It's not big enough to sink my ship. It's a torpedo, but it's not going to sink the ship because my ship is God and I am not going to go down. And so Elisha looks out there and that's all he says. Um, I don't have time to go into this, but one of the things that I'm asking for, I even asked it again today, just walking around my office praying this, I was like, Lord, make me a seer. That's kind of a woo word, you know, it's for proper dignified biblical people. That's an Old Testament term. And that's, you know, no, Lord, make me a seer. Help me to see the invisible. Help me to see what you see, Lord. How many of you know right now there's a whole lot more going on in this room than what we see with our natural eye? <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, I want to see what the Lord sees. I, and I believe that he doesn't just toss those pearls before swine. It's not a casual flippant, yeah, if you want to show me something cool from the other realm, that's great. Yeah, I'll take it. I think it's the people that say, Lord, I, I, I so want to draw close to you that I not only want to have your heart, I want to have your eyes. I, I want to see the angelic realm. Lord, I, I want to see the unseen the word seer in the Old Testament is used more than 20 times to describe people that live with an elevated sense and perception and discernment to the extent that literally, like Elisha, they can see into a realm that is not visible to the natural eye. Now, that may sound a little kooky to you, but, but brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you, if, if we're kingdom people, I don't think that we're supposed to just wait till we get to heaven to experience all of the kingdom that, that God wants to give us. In it, are angels part of the kingdom? Yes. Is the glory of God part of the kingdom? Is, the, is warfare between uh, the powers of darkness and the powers of light, is that part of the kingdom? Well, wouldn't it help if we were tuned into what's going on? 
And so Elisha was able to say to his servant, oh man, you, you see, but you don't see enough. You see the trouble, but you don't see the answer. You see the immediate, but you don't see the after effect. And so, are, are y'all with me? Okay, just making sure. Um, so, so the servant said, what are we going to do? And Elisha says, first thing I'm going to do is calm you down, little fella, because we have an advantage. You have to be able to have confidence in your advantage without even being able to necessarily quantify it or measure it. The human eye, the human mind, the human senses will lie to you. Some of you will tell yourself you're depressed because you feel depressed, and you'll stay that way. But and listen, you're talking to a guy that I lived depressed, clinically depressed for 10 years, and I self-medicated with alcohol and drugs. So I'm, I'm not throwing stones here. But when I got saved, what I realized is though I still had to battle through blues occasionally, I never, ever wanted the enemy to hear me declare over myself that I was a prisoner to my emotions. And so there were seasons where my emotions were roaring at me telling me how messed up, how fatalistic, how trouble, how I was never going to change. And I'm talking as a Christian, they were roaring at me. And the only thing I could do is declare what God said until that became louder in my spirit than what my emotions said. So having to fight through that and, and tell your senses, your, our senses and our emotions make a wonderful caboose, but a terrible engine. So they belong in the back. Bring them with you. God gave us emotions, but make sure that the engine is your identity in Jesus and what he says over you. We sang it tonight. All your promises are yes and amen. And your fleshly, your, your sensory, your natural um, declarations that come from the flesh, those promises are not yea and amen. Those are lies. And you literally, in your spirit, have to take authority over your emotions. Your emotions are, I'm not even supposed to be preaching this, but I feel like this is necessary right now. Your emotions are not the strongest component of your being. They're not. Your spirit is. And your spirit is interwoven with God the Spirit, which makes your spirit indomitable if you will actually believe that your spirit has authority over your emotions. It has authority over your natural impulses. It has authority over your intellect. And you say, well, Jeff, they're all housed in the same being. Right, they are. But I'm going to tell you something. Not all of your faculties have equal authority in your life. Your spirit, you were made spirit. You are primarily spirit, not flesh. You are a spirit that has a body, not a body that has a spirit. You've heard that said before. And so when we will recognize that we can literally... Tell our emotions what to do. And it's not merely the power of positive thinking. It is the authority of God through you over those lesser parts of you. And so as this young man has been told, hey man, you see, but you don't see enough. What comes next? Verse 17. Elisha is going to help the fellow out. Some believers impart the supernatural. It's not enough for Elisha to have it. His friend needs it. So Elisha prayed and says, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, what did he see? Those same mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire all around, not Dothan, all around Elisha. They had been there the whole time. Elisha had seen them. Nobody else had. That's why Elisha was cool as a cucumber. I like what he didn't do. He didn't rail on the young guy who didn't see what he saw. He didn't demean him. He didn't patronize him. He didn't tisk, tisk, tisk the young man. He actually had compassion on him, recognized the guy just had not been there yet with the Lord. He hadn't gone that far with the Lord. And so instead of Elisha taking a superior attitude and some, you know, charismatic arrogance, he, he just, he says, Lord, he needs to see. Lord, open his eyes like you did mine. And the guy's, his mind got blown. His eyes got open, his mind got blown. And, and immediately the Lord gave this young man eyes to see. And, and he looks up and he sees. Now notice the enemy army had horses and chariots and soldiers. But God's army had 
horses and chariots of fire. And that just signifies a greater power, a greater authority. They were actually at a greater elevation too. They were on the mountaintops, whereas the other army. And I love the fact that it says they were all there for Elisha. Elisha, the faithful servant. Elisha, the simple prophet, the humble man of God. And Elisha, the non-panicky dude. Uh, And the enemies were coming after Elisha. And Elisha just knew that daddy was going to send help. And, and he did. Don't you want that kind of confidence? I think you can have it. I actually think, and I, I say this, I hope you understand my heart. Because you are in Jesus Christ, you are entitled to that kind of confidence. Because you are as acceptable to God the Father as his only begotten son is. Take that for positional theology. That if you are in Christ, you are as acceptable to God the Father as his only begotten son is. There is no second stage of acceptance. People are either fully rejected or fully accepted. And because we are in Christ, the Bible says we are seated with him in the heavenlies in high places. And so we actually are co-heirs. We get to draw on Jesus' account. Now, that's not fleshly um, uh, encouragement. That's just simply saying you ought to be as confident as any child of, of the Father is. And it's not for the special people. It is, however, often materialized in the people that believe it the most and press into it the hardest. So instead of telling ourselves that we're orphans or that we're stepchildren... Start recognizing that, no, we are adopted into sonship, that we are the sons of God, male and female, the sons of God. Somebody said that recently. Guys, we're, we're the bride. Ladies, you're sons. And, and that's why we can say in Christ there's neither male nor female. We all share that same identity inheritance. And so we've got to be able to walk in the confidence that God is for us and not against us. If you're living with a spirit of, I just got to do a little bit more to make Father happy, and if Father's happy, maybe good things will happen to me, but if good things can't happen to me, I at least don't want any more bad things, and if bad things happen to happen, have to happen to me, I hope they're not really bad things. So Lord, really all I want is for you to just keep from really bad things from happening to me, and I'm good with that. How did we get there? We got there through religion. We got there through people denying us the realities and the truths of the kingdom about our sonship in Jesus Christ. And so it's time that you stop, if you happen to be, living with this, your, your, your pursuit in your relationship with the Lord is, please don't let really bad things happen anymore. Instead of saying, I wake up today and I've got confidence that God is with me, God is in me, God is over me, God is for me, and greater is he that is in me right now than anything in this world coming against me today. And if that sounds like arrogance to you, I'm going to tell you, press into your sonship. Because it's not arrogance. Jesus didn't die and rise and ascend and promise to return in order that we could live out our four score years saying, I hope nothing really horrific happens today right? Thank you, Art. God, help me. No, I mean that literally. That wasn't irreverent. So I don't know where I am in the outline, but I really feel like that this is like a syringe into somebody tonight. Um, Okay, so let me find out where I am. So he imparts what he had. He opens the guy's eyes, verse number 18. Some believers' faith is immeasurable. So the Syrians came down against him, now, so the army does make its way to Elisha's front door. Elisha prays to the Lord again. Two prayers. Crazy, stunning power. Lord, strike them with blindness. So the Lord struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. That's some pretty potent prayer. I mean, you and I might spend hours in prayer. And I don't get these results all the time. I don't know about y'all. Lord, he needs his eyes opened for your glory. Lord, they need blindness for your glory. Would you please make them both happen? Boom, boom. I'm just stunned by this. And and he's so nonchalant. He doesn't rent a stadium. He doesn't sell tickets. He, he, He doesn't, you know, amp it up. 
He's just living his life. He sees what needs to be done. He's recognizing that there's the enemy. They need to learn about the glory of Yahweh so they'll depart from their false gods. This follower of Yahweh, the little uh, servant guy, he just needs increased faith. And so Elijah, he's the man of God. He's the anointed prophet, but he's acting like a servant. It's beautiful. He's just serving people. That's what spiritual gifts are all about. They're not, they're not to be shown off. They're not to be razzle-dazzled. Spiritual gifts are meant to build up other people. And, and that's why you have spiritual gifts. And so we get down to the very last things, and I know what time it is, so let me give you the verses we didn't read. So what happens to the army? So they come down, and now they're blind. They picked the wrong guy to mess with. Here's a spiritual gift paired with wisdom, verse number 19 and 20. Elisha shows, he reveals here what I call supernatural big picture wisdom because there's a, there's a big issue going on. you got a blind enemy army, a lot of them, there in Dothan. So Elisha said to them, this is not the way, this is not the city. Follow me, I'll bring you to the man whom you seek. And he leads them to Samaria. That's the hub of Israel's uh, uh, northern part. That's their capital. And as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord... Open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. So I don't have time to really go into it. Some commentators think that they weren't actually blind, but God put blinders on their mind so they couldn't recognize Elisha. They didn't know what city they were in. They were confused. It was just kind of a a whacked out scenario. I'm just going to take the simple approach. I mean, I, I think they were blind. And so Elisha leads that whole contingent there to Samaria, and then he prays his third prayer, which is, Lord, let them see again. And when they open their eyes, they are up the creek without a paddle. They are right there in the middle of Samaria, and now the army, the enemy army, is now in the city of Samaria, and they're now surrounded by the human army of the Israelites. They are toast. They are done. They're doomed, at least according to the natural intellect. So look, that's the big picture wisdom. Elisha says, I got to get them up there. Ultimately, this is now a military matter. Let's bring them to the king. And so verse 21 and 22, he also has what I call in the moment precise wisdom. Sometimes God will give you big picture wisdom. You'll know what the big picture is. And as you're faithful to exercise wisdom in the big picture, he's often going to give you precise wisdom. And this is what happens here in verse 21. As soon as the king of Israel, remember, he's a carnal dude, he, he sees those people, he said, my father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? And Elisha answers, you shall not strike them down. Calm down, fella. Would you strike down those whom you've taken captive with your sword or with your bow? And look what Elisha says to do. Fix a meal for them. Bless them. Feed them. They've come a long way. They've had a really bad day. And make a meal for them, O king. Um, This is counterintuitive. This is actually an Old Testament precursor to what Jesus would talk about when he told us to pray for our enemies and bless our enemies. And, And so they're at the mercy of the king, and the king's just saying, please let me kill these guys. And Elisha says, actually, no. I I want you to feed them. I actually want you to kill them with kindness. And so this army gets the king's feast. Uh, I'll I'll say more about that in just a second, and then we're going to be done. And so it leads to verse number 23. Here it is. What I call unconventional take-the-risk wisdom. This is all wisdom. Supernatural big picture, in-the-moment precise wisdom, And now unconventional, take the risk, wisdom. So he prepared for them a great feast. When they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away. He actually turned them loose and they went away to their master. And look at the concluding statement. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. They learned they couldn't win. They couldn't, it wasn't that they couldn't beat Israel. They couldn't beat Elisha. Here's a guy operating in intimacy with the Lord. And anybody that opposed the will of the Lord, which Elisha was committed to, Elisha was committed to the will of the Lord, and the enemies were opposed to the will of the Lord, God gave Elisha the victory and brought them defeat. And so it's, it's amazing. So in, in this ancient time, these guys had this big meal, and eventually they pushed back from the table, and they're like, what are we going to do now? And the king of Israel says, get out of my city. Go back home. And as they're marching home, 
um, they've got to go back and report to their king. They show back up, and the king says, hey, y'all are back pretty soon, and you didn't lose a single man. Uh, where's Elisha? Let's take care of that, that little prophet in, in Israel. Where's Elisha? And the captain of the army says, <clears throat> um, well, uh, he's kind of back in Israel. Well, why is he back in Israel? Did you not find him? Yeah, we found him. We were right at his doorstep. Well, why didn't you get him? Well, <clears throat> he did this little prayer thing, and his God blinded us, and so we ended up having to go stand before their king. Well, you must have killed his king and, and, and the army because you're here alive. No, actually, king, it was great. He actually fed us, made us a meal, so we'd become, be strong, and we came home, and we're back now. Now, let me just tell you, in ancient days, that would have been uber humi humiliating. You, you got fed by, it's, it's like he treated you like the neighbor's kids. It's like, oh, you need a cookie. You, you need a cookie. You, now run back home. That's exactly what happened. And so the, the end result is the king of Syria just said, we're not going to mess with them anymore. No matter what I do, I can't beat Israel. And it's all because I know I will never beat Elisha. One believer in the midst of conflict, in the midst of unbelief, in the midst of adversity, in the midst of natural senses dominating some people, in the midst of very simple prayers, Lord, open his eyes, Lord, close their eyes, now, Lord, open their eyes. And then the, the king says, what do we do? And Elisha uses precise wisdom. He says, why don't you just bless them and just send them back home? That'll take care of business. Not a single drop of blood was spilled. Sometimes God's way of winning your battles is completely different than what you assume he's going to do. Even that takes faith. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I'm done. I appreciate the extra whatever time. So you know your battle. I don't know your battle. It could be a battle with a person. It could be a battle that you're in with your own flesh and emotions. I really felt like that was for some people tonight. And there's no condemnation in any of that. There's actually empowerment. You have authority. You have it. You don't have to go run and chase it. You don't have to earn it. You have it. It's a faith thing. So if it's a human enemy, if it's a circumstantial adversity, if it's a battle within, I just want you to exhale. I'm going to take 10 seconds of quiet, and then I'm just going to ask God to do something, okay? So let's just be 10 seconds. Show them how great you are and how involved you are. And open their eyes, Lord, to what they haven't seen yet. Do it for me too, Lord. Open our eyes to what we haven't seen yet. And bring us the victory any way you want to bring it to us. Even if it's not what we were thinking. We trust you. In the name of your son, Jesus, who provided it all, and for his glory, we say yes to you. Amen. Amen.